with ChaiCast, and today Isha and I are going to be talking about education in AI. So this is going to be based off of our personal experiences. We're not endorsing any particular um, companies or universities or whatever. This is just what both of us have experienced while learning about AI on our own. So to start off with, um, you might ask why should we be learning AI, whether you want to do research in AI or if you're industry and you're trying to use AI as a tool to solve a problem. So as we had mentioned, I think in the first episode, every major industry has been or is currently looking to use AI to somehow in, in some way improve their products or technologies. Yeah, like you said, um, trying to improve the products and stuff. For business development, um, AI can provide insight on breaking into and succeeding in, succeeding in a market. Uh, it will it would inform who the target market is. It can also help uh, in most effectively selling to that given target market. And in general, it just provides a competitive advantage for businesses. And yeah, yeah. So like the other side of that. Um, I think personalized ads is probably one that a lot of people can relate to. So the business side of it is using AI or ML to kind of get those personalized ads out to their audiences. But the flip side of it is when you're learning about AI and ML, you can have a better understanding of how that's actually working. So being on the receiving end of personalized ads, you can you'll have a better understanding of like, how your data is being used to generate those type of personalized ads and having a better understanding in general of um, data privacy and what you're allowing certain companies to use from your end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said about like, if you, if you understand where your data is going, then you have a better control over data privacy. And that's why it's good to get educated in in the field of AI, whether it's just knowing what it is, or uh, maybe maybe you want to get some sort of certification or something, um, it it really does help with uh, with that, uh, I guess. So, yeah. And the other thing too is um, outside of just industry and and usual importance of AI and in industry and research. AI is cool, and both of us are very, <laughs> and are very unbiased opinions. So um, it, it's it's a hot field. It's emerging, and that's the direction that both education is going in, and just I don't know the world in general is going in that direction. Um, I personally have seen through, I guess even just during my time in undergrad, I saw more classes, more classes in machine learning come about and more classes in those fields come about. Uh, I remember at the start of our freshman year, at least we had just, there was just one machine learning class, but by the end of my time in undergrad, there were probably three or four and you could enter in from different areas. You didn't have to just major in computer science to take a machine learning class. So um, Rupal, do you think like, you know, AI and ML, is that always going to be the solution to everything? Yeah, that's, one like I guess good thing to keep in mind is AI and ML is not just like I forget what the like saying is like there's hammers and nails and you can't just like throw one at the other. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I made that up or if that's an actual saying. 
Yeah, no, I get, I get what you mean, though. <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah, you can't. Usually, you can't just like throw like machine learning at a problem you have. Um, so, yeah. getting an education in AI can help you kind of understand what uh, what problems, I guess, machine learning is like a good solution to. Like mm-hmm. often, I think there's maybe more straightforward or simpler solutions that um, could solve your problem. But with like, I guess, all the AI bubble and the hype around AI. Um, there might be like a tendency to just use machine learning models, even though it's like unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So getting educated with uh, machine learning, I think, can also help get a better understanding for people of what it's actually capable of and what it's a good use for. And I guess in a similar vein, also getting a better understanding of why robots are not taking over the world because, you know, AI is not really at that level. And once you start learning about it, I think it's like easier to kind of understand why that's the case. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. I, I get that question a lot, and I know we talked about it in Karthik's episode too. That yeah. oh, you know, like are robots going to steal everyone's jobs? Is that is that what that's is that what this is about? Um, but like you said, I think as we learn more about it, it's it's not as black and white as it as it sounds yeah and like another thing that's come up recently for me at um university is like public acceptance of ai or robots Mm -hmm. so like how does society as a whole kind of like accept an emergence of robots just like in everyday life so if there's like a busy sidewalk maybe in like new york and we have these ground robots delivering food maybe like how do people kind of accept that like are they letting the robot do its own thing are they like purposely trying to step in front of it to kind of toy with it so i think just a general like education about ai doesn't even have to be technical but like understanding that i think that might help with an increased like public acceptance or maybe increased trust in ai systems especially with like autonomous um cars and things like that there might be less of a skepticism towards those type of technologies. So, so Rupal, I know you have, at least I know you have more, a better understanding of human-robot interaction than I do. Um, I'm just aware of what it is. I guess, how important do you think it is to learn about that when, when you're developing these systems? And, and what can you tell us about, about it? Yeah, I think... In general, um, it probably definitely depends on the context. So there's different, I guess, there's a range of situations in which the amount of human interaction is like increased or it could be completely isolated. So if you're doing a totally, completely autonomous system that's like completely isolated from humans and the environment in general, it's in a very controlled environment, you probably have to think about the human interaction part less. Now, I think on the other end of that spectrum is something like maybe senior care, so in nursing homes, um, situations like that, you have to be very, very like conscious about the human interaction part because there's a lot of stuff going on. Elderly care is like already not an easy task. There's a lot of different factors that you have to be aware of. People need different types of needs. Not, you know, not all senior people are like each other. So it's already like tough for humans to kind of be in that environment or take care of all of those different types of situations when you're developing robots for like 
senior care that's like even more important because the amount of safety and trust that has to go into those systems is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, like, I mean, and I mean, this sounds sounds kind of obvious when you say it out loud, but the more robots are interacting with humans, the more human robot interaction is to learn about and to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, I guess now we can probably dive into different ways and different avenues of learning AI, because nowadays, especially with with the hype and, and just with how much everyone's talking about it, it's very easy to get lost in all of the resources and in the noise, <laughs> um, to be honest. So naturally, the question of where do I start comes up. So, I mean, it really depends on what you're doing. If you are a student, if you're a student and you want to go into this field, then taking the sort of traditional path and taking graduate level classes or even undergraduate level classes in this field makes sense um, because at that point you're, you're paying tuition and it makes sense. But if you're further along in your career and you're trying to make a switch or something of the sort, then maybe going for a formal education is not necessary. For example, there are a lot of graduate programs, um, especially nowadays, a lot of them are online. There are some online graduate programs that you can you can take robotics classes, you can take artificial intelligence classes. Um, I know there's, there's a master's in artificial intelligence um, at, at one university in particular. There are, there's like a master's in computer science and you can focus in robotics. Um, that's also online. Uh, grad degrees are expensive and they require a huge, um, huge time investment. But the good part is if it's online, it, it is more cost effective and more flexible. And there are also a lot of great in-person programs as well. It really depends on your financial situation and what you're interested in doing afterwards. Yeah, just to jump in real quick, I think there's, we're also going to talk about like some free resources and stuff. So there is a wide range of, I guess, costs that you can keep in mind. And if you're not like in a position to put in finances into um, your AI education, there's like free ways to do that too. And in personal opinion, I think the free resources are pretty extraordinary considering that they're free yeah especially because a lot of times we like don't have the time to take certain classes like maybe i mean i think that's 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 like a common thing in university when you take as you try to fit in as many classes as you can but then you can't get every class in so i mean you can supplement that by taking some classes online for free or yeah it definitely depends i guess on what your end goal is like if you're trying to make a career out of it or if you're just trying to understand some basics yeah so maybe you can start with some of the free resources so again we're not endorsing anything these are just like resources we've used so like edx and coursera are um websites that i've used and i think isha you have as well had some experience with them um they're Basically, there are online courses that are from, like, I think in general, like, accredited universities. Um, So there's probably courses from major universities that you've heard about, um, not just in America, but internationally. And the free version of them is, like, you can watch the videos and, like, do the assignments and stuff. And then if you pay um, some amount of money, 
you can get like a certificate that you completed the course. And I think there's also like, they'll enforce deadlines and stuff. It's like a little more structured once you do the paid option. Yeah, I know some universities also, like they, they, they post their content on Coursera and on EDX, like you said, mm-hmm. but they also sometimes post it on their own websites and just make it open, like MIT OpenCourseWare mm-hmm. or you know UC Berkeley, it sounds like also has, has their own lectures that they post online. U of M does too. Yeah, um, for deep learning, machine learning, reinforcement learning, there's some good series on YouTube from like Stanford, UC Berkeley. Those are the two that I've personally um, watched from pretty prominent um, labs and professors. And they're like, they're great. They have like the entire playlist. It like goes through basically a class. It's basically quite literally, it's the class recording of the professor's teaching. Mm-hmm. So those are really good as well. Yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said about the math classes too, because mm-hmm. math is literally foundational to AI classes. Um, and so I, I actually did something similar where I I actually did not ever take formally take linear algebra in college, but I went through the MIT open course for a linear algebra class uh, before I, I I took I took DSP, which covered covered linear algebra um, portions of it at least. But uh, having having going gone through that actually helped quite a bit as well. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of math, so again, it depends on your end goal. I think if you're trying to just get a general understanding about AI, so you can like maybe talk about it in conversations or at your company in terms of um, like a tool you're using, but not something you're directly developing, maybe you don't have to worry about the math as much. But if you're like really getting into it, I think it's really important and maybe an often overlooked part of AI is the math um, aspect. So linear algebra, as Isha mentioned, pretty important. And I think the other two is probably uh, probability statistics and then calculus. Um, Probability, yeah. Probability statistics is, if I had to rank them, I would say that's probably the most. You'll see like a lot of like expectations and distributions when it comes to machine learning. Yeah, because there's not certainty, right? Like, especially if you're working working with robots like you don't when you're doing like state estimation like you don't know for sure where you are um everything is just a guess Mm -hmm. for the robot yep yeah so that one's huge i think linear algebra comes up more in like i guess more fundamental robotics type of problems right When, when you're doing like transformations from coordinate systems and things like that yeah and and kinematics and dynamics too that's that's also important exactly yeah yeah, and then calculus is super important. Um, I So I took a deep learning class in the fall, a graduate level deep learning class in the fall. And I mean, we use derivatives and everything um, for for all the, the deep learning stuff. So <laughs> it, derivatives are there and calculus is, is super important as well um, for back propagation and all that <laughs> fun stuff. Um, So beyond the math classes, you know, once you've taken the math classes, like what are some other, what are, what are classes you would take after that? What are classes you have taken at least? Yeah. So again, getting um, into just personal experiences, not endorsements, but um, Isha and I both went to the University of Michigan. And so like Isha had mentioned when we were there, there was kind of like 
a machine learning class. So I started um, taking X445, which was like the machine learning class, I guess, at least, at least on the undergrad level. I think there's like grad, more grad classes. Uh, so that was like half math, half um, coding, I would say. So we had like homework sets that were also like problem sets. And then we also had like programming projects. I really enjoyed that class. It was a great experience. I love the professor as well. And then I think when we were juniors or seniors, like later on, um, there was more opportunities to take other types of machine learning mm -hmm. classes, um, especially special topics. Those can be, those are one of my favorite types of classes to take in general, because they're like very specific on a topic and they're super fun. So if you're like actually interested in that topic, they're one of the best types of classes to take, I think. Um, so I've taken like conversational AI. I took... Um, affective machine learning which was very interesting it's it had to do with like emotional like so you could what are some ways that we can kind of get an emotional understanding from um text contests so the nlp side of that also did like some speech and audio um type of work so that was pretty new and interesting to me i think another like semi-fundamental class is computer vision so at U of M, it was like X442. And then again, there's like more grad classes and now probably even more undergrad classes. Um, that one's pretty great too. It like goes from, it covers more than just ML. So there's like deep learning methods that you can do in computer vision, but there's also like just very straight up structured, like mathematical things you can do to images. Yeah just the ads. yeah that's a fun one because you can like see like there's like immediate feedback you can see what's happening to like the images that you're doing transformations on yeah so i thought that was cool yeah that's something i really enjoyed i never formally took a computer vision class but uh i had done an internship before my senior year that was all image processing work so i mean there was some there was like some computer vision stuff in there too uh, but no, I, I get exactly what you mean where it's like, you can see the results right away. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like that side of AI a little bit more cause it's, you can work with images and it's right there. Um, yeah. as far as like my education in AI at this point, I have only formally taken one class within the realm of AI and it's honestly it's like more specific than I had intended on taking um I think maybe I could if I had taken machine learning uh it would have been a little bit more broad but I took a deep learning class this past fall at Stanford it also did cover exactly what Rupal was talking about with using deep learning for computer vision with convolutional methods um, they did go into NLP stuff too talked about RNNs and just taught us some more linear algebra stuff in general and talked about linear regression at the beginning and why why you should do nonlinear regression and how that's that's more you know more informative I guess uh, but that's that's like my AI education and I, I ended up taking that class because I worked on a project in one of my grad embedded systems classes where I applied deep learning methods to solve an embedded systems problem. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about that area. So that's why I chose to take that class in particular. So that's my education in AI. As a computer engineer at U of M, we did, like I said, we didn't have um, really, there was only one machine learning class and 
as a ECE electrical computer engineering student, you could really only get in if you had certain classes. Um, and so that was, that was hard to take if you were an electrical engineer. And so they, they started adding more classes towards the end of my, my time at Michigan. So I bet, I, I hope it's a little bit easier though for students in that area of electrical engineering and computer science to take machine learning classes. Uh, so I think that's, that's something to look forward to. I did take DSP though, which did touch on machine learning a little bit towards the end of the class. So uh, I think there are some follow-on classes to that uh, that are for electrical engineers to take machine learning. So yeah, that's that's like my education in that area. Yeah, I probably mentioned this in the first episode. So I'm like working on my PhD right now, and that's like in more human-robot interaction, but from the algorithmic side of it. So using reinforcement learning and things like that. And I'm at um, UIUC right now. So I've taken more um, AI classes during my degree here, uh, more like very specific ones since not an undergrad anymore. Robotics classes, so learning-based methods for robots, um, safety in AI. That was um, a super cool one. And again, as we've like kind of just talked about a little earlier, it's super important to keep in mind as well. Uh, Human-centered robotics and then reinforcement learning um, specific courses. So those were all, I, I loved all of those classes. Yeah, these are all great classes to take when you're, when you're in a graduate program. And when you're, when you're in, in a formal education, these are really great classes to take. And even, even if you're in industry and, and you find lectures online, you can do it that way too. If you're in industry though, I mean, you don't have to go this route if you, you can use the information from online lectures and free lectures and stuff and free materials to self-teach. And there are other other avenues to become a machine learning engineer or a computer vision engineer. Uh, for example, there is the Google Cloud certification to become a professional ML engineer. A lot of people do that. I personally have not done that, but that's one path that people take. Google in particular has a lot of resources just because they are the ones who started TensorFlow. So they try to provide as many resources as they can to developers or anyone interested in, in developing machine learning models. So, you know, I think there, the, the great thing about this is while there's the hype continues and it continues to explode, this field, I guess, is emerging so much, the amount of resources to learn is also going up too. And, and that's helpful. So that all of that being said, how Ripple do you stay up to date with with AI news and with I guess just AI in general? Yeah. So as a current PhD student, I, that probably looks a little different than other people might do it. So yeah, PhD students read a lot of papers. So going on archives, searching for like certain keywords for the specific topics that I'm interested in knowing more about. Just like every week or so, um, also any academic conferences. There's quite a few of those out there. I'm not going to list them all because there's so many, but there's like general, like big AI ones. And then there's also more specific ones. So when you figure out like maybe which ones you're interested in, looking at what papers have been accepted to them, looking at like if there's papers that have like 
won the best paper award or whatever for that conference. Looking through those. And then I think some more, I guess, less niche ways to stay um, up to date on AI. So Twitter, which might seem like a weird one, but honestly, AI, like, I guess, sub universe of Twitter is pretty big. So if you follow either a company, so they're like the AI subdivision of the company you work at or companies you're interested in, they'll post like what they're working on or what's like the newest, latest thing that they've released. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, and then also... I feel like yeah, academic Twitter has become such a thing since the start of the pandemic. I didn't... I personally didn't use Twitter at all. And then when the, when COVID hit, I, you know, had more time. So I was like, let me let me see what's on Twitter. So I, I joined Twitter as well. And it's just exploding. <laughs> yeah, I only really got into it once I became a grad student. Because, yeah, I realized that... A lot of um, academics, so faculty, research professors at university will be pretty active on Twitter. So when they put out a new project or a new paper, um, they'll have like a summary and like videos and everything like in a Twitter thread. And that can be a pretty like digestible way to kind of understand uh, what they're working on, which is super cool. Um, You don't have to like just read papers and like technical jargon all day. You can kind of get a layman's summary so to speak yeah of that and work. in addition to the learning part too i mean it's I, I do follow some professors too and it's it's interesting to see what they have to say you know they're more open about their opinions and you can see their opinions on things too mm-hmm. so it's not just like you see their name on a paper it's like you can actually put a some opinions behind it you can see what their opinions are on yeah. things and um, and it it's not just opinions on the things that they're teaching about. It can be opinions on anything. So there's, you have some, I guess, a, a human behind the paper, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, that's yeah, so true. Reading papers a little bit more fun that way, because then you can. Yeah, and more. it's like kind of easier to, I don't know, maybe like recognize recurring names and stuff, because mm-hmm. you have... Yeah, something behind the name as well. Yeah, I'm really curious to see where academic Twitter goes. And even in industry, Twitter is a thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm in industry. I mentioned in the first episode, I'm, I'm working as a, I'm a software engineer. And industry Twitter is also a thing too. You'll talk about, you'll see people announcing their, their new jobs or like talking about certain things in the workplace that they like or they don't like. And I just think people in general have become much more open about how they feel about things and I think Twitter yeah I don't know not to endorse Twitter but like that's I don't know yeah it's a pretty um popular like social media platform yeah yeah (laughs) yeah one thing on the dumb ideas list was academic Twitter I think I don't remember where I saw this but I had heard about like stock market financing specific Twitter I don't remember what it's called but it's like a social media platform, basically, that was like specific to trading. And after I'd seen that, I was like, oh, there should be something like that for academia. And there can be like, I don't know, like subtopics for each research area. And it would just be more organized and maybe like a more specific platform that can be better suited to handle things like research papers. But I don't know. I think that would be cool to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, that would be really cool to see. For now, though, I guess, you know, this is, this is still a good platform and you're getting to see things behind the scenes. As someone who's not in academia, I find it really interesting, too, when uh, when people in academia post about, oh, like, you know, like, why my paper wasn't accepted to this conference or, like, why it was accepted. Like, because mm-hmm. then, then you can see stuff happening behind the scenes, too, which is pretty interesting. So that's all, you know, this is all, like, if you're in an academic setting, I'm assuming at that point you'd be past K through 12. So Rupal, for you, I I know you had a, you had an interest in computer science before you even got to college. Like what was, what was that like? Did you know you wanted to be a roboticist or AI engineer? Not really. I think growing up, so I'm talking like elementary, middle school, math was always like a big one for me. I didn't really like know exactly what I wanted to major in or whatever when I went to college. And then in middle school, I remember like my dad typing into like the terminal at work. So now I know better. He works in like um, IT and doing like more backend data analytics, things like that. But I thought it was very cool to be typing green or white letters into a black box. (laughs) It, it, I don't know what about it, but I just oh thought it was God. super awesome. And that's why I decided I needed to learn how to code. So I used one of these online resources that we've talked about. Um, I started learning Python just kind of on my own. And then in high school, I took AP Computer Science. So that's like some Java and things like that. So that was like, I guess, the beginning of my computer science um, path. Robotics, I think, was more of, like, once I got into college and even, like, later undergrad, not even early undergrad. Yeah, just, like, being exposed to those type of things while I was physically at a university or even, like, seeing things come up in the news more often. So I think some of the online resources we talked about um, for staying up to date were very academic or niche specific. Some more general ones are just, Mm -hmm. like, news articles or blog posts um like yeah i think was mit technology review they have like yeah Yeah. i think they have like a conference coming Mm -hmm. up or something yeah um just news sources like that they they're pretty like easy to read and easy to digest information Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um as for me so my path was a little winding (laughs) i so I guess, again, to start, I, I'm not working in the field of AI right now. Um, I just had some exposure to it late undergrad, early career. But as far as my computer science education, which is where Rupal and I, Rupal and I overlap in terms of interests, I, at the end of high school, was interested in physics, and that's what I wanted to do for undergrad. I wanted to be a physicist and then decided when I got to college that, you know, I, I think engineering is kind of where where my interests lie and I still I wanted to build mm-hmm. things and and do things hands-on um, and I joined a project team my freshman year actually and I wanted to do the hands-on things so I did that my freshman year and uh, the computer science part I I took engineering 101 which is a class at U of M the very first programming class you take and I loved engineering 101 and Actually, this is, I'm like totally like being vulnerable about about this, by the way. I took another class after that, which is the 200 level computer science class. 
And I immediately dropped it after like the third week of classes because it was just like a rough semester. Things were just going on and um, I just, I wasn't really in a good place. And so I dropped it my first semester of my sophomore year. And then the following year, I I had a really great mentor in one of my internships. Um, and, you know, I did some programming while I was there, embedded software programming. And so my computer science education, like really kind of took off when I, started doing embedded software stuff. And then I took that sophomore computer science class again, my junior year and absolutely loved it. And then ended up teaching it later too. So, you know, it's sometimes it just takes a little bit to, if you start off in high school, I think maybe um, starting earlier, I feel like with computer science helps too. Oh yeah, definitely. I always wonder why. Yeah, like I wonder why why computer science is not taught in schools as much. I think with time, it will become more common. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah, I just feel like in general, it's become slowly becoming more common in high schools, at least. And j- even recently from younger students, I've heard that they have like middle school specific classes, which is crazy to me. Like mm-hmm. growing up, we didn't really have that. We had something called tech or something like that, where they like have you work with like Microsoft Office. So do stuff in like word and powerpoint so yeah (laughs) having programming classes in middle school is super awesome and i hope it continues to kind of be popular and expand into like all um middle schools even elementary school there's like some cool have you heard of scratch Uh, yeah yeah i've heard of scratch yeah yeah, yeah so I feel that's like something that's pretty digestible to younger students as well um just like block and very visual based mm-hmm. programming mm-hmm. so learning those concepts at a younger age can make it easier to kind of get into the field and I think like you know we've talked about this a lot a lot of industries are using computer science so if that becomes as common as like math and reading is it will hopefully be helpful for everyone in general yeah like you said it's it's definitely gonna take time um the middle school thing reminded me of something So I know people who are younger than me who, you know, had taken computer science, middle middle school computer science classes. And I kind of went through their curriculums. And at this point, they're still at the stage where computer science to them is teaching HTML and CSS and that's Mm -hmm. it, and JavaScript, which is, I mean, that is a part of computer science as well. But I think seeing, I guess showing them that that's not all computer science is is also important too because for some people that's really interesting and for some people that's really not that interesting yeah so i i'm curious to see what comes next of it um i do know that in certain schools too they've been using robots for education um i i have a friend who was telling me about that uh, they were using robots in a class to teach math or something that's super cool yeah i know yeah so i i you know that's that's like my i hope one day that could be a thing that they teach they use robots to teach computer science i think that would be very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah if you if you are in high school like rupal mentioned she took ap computer science i personally did not but students can start by taking ap computer science if it's offered there are also so many different summer programs now, and mm-hmm. 
spring summer programs that teach fundamentals of computer science and even the fundamentals of AI. Like that's how that's how much AI is 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 becoming normalized. AI education is becoming normalized. It's you can learn it from a very early age and it's yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. If you did want to work on your first project, there are also a lot of resources online too if you didn't want to formally go through a class and you just wanted to jump in and start a project if you're in high school or just even anybody at any age uh you can you can try going through coggle or some try to find some sort of data set and use transfer learning if you want and try to apply an existing model on that problem tweak it see what happens and go from there yeah i think if you want to dive in and just get like a project going and just, you know, get your hands dirty with it, Kaggle is like a great resource. They even have like some structured, like introductory tutorials or lessons or something mm-hmm. like that, that kind of like walk you through, I think, like, at least, I don't know if this has changed, but when I had done it, it was like predicting house market, like um, trends. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had actually gone through the same one at some point. It was like an intro to deep learning or computation yeah. or something. Yeah, it's just, I, I think it's like an introductory yeah. ML course. So you like take in some past data of housing, housing like sales and trends, and then you try to predict the future market. And yeah, yeah, that one, I think that particular course takes like probably like a day to do. Yeah, Not it's a day. I don't even think it takes exactly, that long, but they like walk you through it. Um, mm-hmm. with the notebook, Jupyter notebook type of thing. Yeah, but, you know, AI education is cool, and it's AI is becoming more democratized in the education system. Education system meaning not just K-12 and, and bachelors and grad, mm-hmm. also just in industry, too. So take advantage of it is, I think, but what both of us are trying to get at here. Um, to wrap up, I guess maybe we can talk about how our identities as South Asians have shaped our engineering education and just our outlook on education and engineering in general. Rupal, do you want to start off? Yeah, so I talked a bit about like watching my dad type on his laptop is kind of what um, got me into CS in the beginning. And then also getting into higher education, part of that has to do with, so my mom was not allowed to like pursue STEM. Mm -hmm um like in higher education and so hearing that story like has kind of motivated me I think more personally to take that route myself and having her support and of course my dad's support has been a huge help um yeah it's yeah being I think being South Asian one thing that we talked about especially with the episode with um Karthik is that there's it's pretty common expectation to go into engineering or like medical school and something like that. So getting into CS in college, uh, that wasn't like, I don't know, that wasn't something I would get pushback on. I think going into like the PhD degree was something that I had to like uh, talk through more because that's also, I think, a new concept to everyone in my family. Like I didn't even know what the full process of getting a PhD degree looks like until I was like, more of a senior undergrad student and so I had to like kind of explain that to my family as well and walk through that process but 
yeah, I mean, they've been pretty supportive overall. So I'm like pretty um, thankful and grateful for that. And yeah, that's, I guess, my how my personal identity is kind of tied into my views on education, engineering specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome that your parents are super supportive. And luckily, I can also this, say the same thing. Um, both of my parents work in tech. Uh, my mom, she did her, so she's, she has an advanced degree in physics. Um, she did her undergrad in physics and then her master's in physics. And, um, that, that I think to me was, was probably one of the reasons I was also interested in doing physics for undergrad, uh, was I was really inspired by her story and, um, just the fact that she like went out there and, and did that, um, there is, I will say, in, in South Asian culture, there is an expectation that, oh, you should get an advanced degree at some point um, and go to a good university that's top ranked, you know. I think just mm-hmm. that's that's like, yeah, I, I found that to be particularly interesting. Um, I personally, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm kind of trying to just do my own thing and um, just do what works for me based on my my interests and my uh personal situation and so yeah i think going straight into software engineering helped me get you know get started on my career pretty early and start working towards some of the personal financial goals that i have so you know it's it's not necessary to get an advanced degree you if you need one and for example if you want to be a professor you need a phd Um, But if you want to be a software engineer, you don't have to get a master's or PhD. You can get a bachelor's in computer science or computer engineering. And um, you don't even need a bachelor's, honestly, for for software engineering. I I wanted to mention that, yes. (laughs) I have met people throughout, like, life in general that have gotten into CS-related careers without a bachelor's degree. Yeah. And I think there's also this rise of, like, almost like trade schools yeah like like maybe like two-year program boot camps yeah exactly things like that that can um get you into the industry yeah yeah my mom also did like a she didn't get a degree in software engineering she did like a certification Mm -hmm. and I mean it was it was the same thing like you you can do a boot camp you don't have to be a degree holder to go into software engineering yep so (sighs) all right well this was this was incredible and this was a very interesting conversation given our different places in life right now, as far as our, our education and yeah. our different backgrounds, even though we're both Indian, <laughs> like we both have had so such different paths, I feel like, which is very cool to talk about. Um, and we hope that the resources that we talked about in here will be helpful to anybody who wants to pursue AI as a part of their education or just learn a little bit more about it. So yeah, with that, uh, thank you, Chai Lovers, and until next time.